Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And once again, we are thrilled to be joined by the talented, the terrific, Eves. Welcome, Eves. Yes. Hello, <laughs> once again. <Yes. laughs> For another edition of Female First, we feel that we are approaching a milestone. But we have yet to confirm it. <laughs> We're getting close. <laughs> We're getting close to something, I'm sure. I'm positive. Yeah. Yes. How are you, Eves? How have you been? I'm doing pretty good today. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff has been going on. But it's been a good February. You know, it's been an, it's been a packed February, but it's been it's been pretty nice. Yeah. It's been a I have a like a dryer weight erase calendar um, that gives me way more stress than it should because every the beginning of every month I have to like erase it and write everything that I have to do in the month. And I was looking over February today. I was like, wow, this was a busy month for me. Yeah. <laughs> it did that. Yeah. February did that, honestly. That's why it gave us that that extra day this month. It's like, <laughs> we're going to do as much as possible in this month. We're going to give you an extra day to fit it all in. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yes. Um, well, I will be doing my calendar tomorrow. Um, and we were talking about, before this, what sounds like people are having a lot of stress dreams. Yes. Um, it sounds like that uh, we're all stressed out and it is impacting our dreams, particularly... Uh, maybe time-based, missing something. I suspect daylight savings time has something to do with it. Uh, but I love, I know that it's like kind of a thing people don't talk about, but I love talking about dreams. So I, I love it this too. is really interesting. No, I think it's controversial, Annie, because some people are like, nobody wants to hear your dreams. They're only interesting to you because they happen in your head. And I'm like, no, I want to hear everyone's dreams. Tell yes. me. Tell me everything that's going on in your subconscious. Let me analyze you. Let me judge you. <laughs> Let me judge you. That's the key. 
Yes. Well, it is so fascinating. It's to me a thing that our brain does and that, yeah, what does that say? What does it say? I had a dream last night that I got these increasingly intense notes and the last one was like, and I've been standing in front of you this whole time. And there was a murder Whoa. standing in front of me the whole time. Wow. Did, what happened next? Did you have oh, a I woke dream? Up. <laughs> you woke up? Okay, good. I woke up. <laughs> wow. I woke up. I was like, damn. Yeah, I need intense. to relax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you, yeah. What needs to happen in real life for that not to happen in your dreams again? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've been trying to be better about like stretching more and taking like the time. I've been going on walks. But apparently it's not enough. <laughs> yeah, not enough. Not enough. I had a dream that um, there was a crocodile in my kitchen. And no. a croc specifically, you know, we don't have crocs here in the United States. It wasn't a gator, though. I just I knew it was I a croc. That. It was very specific. And I went to my sister and I was like, oh, my God, there's a croc in the kitchen. Can you get it for me? And she was like, oh, okay. Um, so she took a shoe in the kitchen and like came back and she was like, I got it. I was like, you did? That's great. She's like, yeah. I was like, what did you do? She was like, I grabbed it by the tail and I took this and I hit it in the head and it died. And I was like, okay. I don't think that would work in real life, but you did that. And I am happy about it because I'm no longer in danger. So yeah, really weird, weird, weird things. Um, definitely around time too. So I think there's something in the air. I think there's something in the universe, something spinning differently. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Samantha recently, I've been talking about all these cicadas that are coming. It might actually impact our recording because mm. they, they could be loud enough. They're pretty loud. So we'll see. There's a lot of stuff in the air is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff coming. <laughs> mm. Is it another cicada year? Don't they only come out every It's so? two cicadas. Oh. Two broods of cicadas. Oh it hasn't happened since the 1800s. <laughs> so we are in a different time. Y'all, yeah. be careful, y'all. Whatever conspiracies <laughs> you believe in right now, they're probably true. <laughs> they're probably true. Based on the ways that things are converging. Right. All these weird things are happening. Annie has made that introduction with the, with the cicadas. I think I'm on every show for the past month now. So it's been, and, and even like conversation, like I, we had a business meeting. We had a team meeting and immediately came out as well. Annie, do you think you I were a cicada it. in the past life? Oh. I might have been because they're very, they have strange like clocks and patterns. Mm -hmm. And I'm very big on like timing yeah. and numbers and patterns. I could see it. Okay. I could see it. Maybe that's the key. <laughs> She's that's the key. The key. She's back the queen when, um, cicada. Back when they movies... Uh, not really, no. Okay. Um, but they have some that are like... Oh, okay, I'm getting... Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, wanted to, we wanted to know the depth of your knowledge about cicadas because we know it runs deep. It's deep. <laughs> it is deep. Back when... Uh, remember when movies used to do like the big websites uh, that came out with their release? Um... For the mummy too, I took a what are what were you in your past life and I got a beetle. So it's hmm, close. I, it could be. Could be. Close to. Yeah. Yes. It sounds like it was it was also very thematically centered around the movie because yeah. <laughs> I don't it think it was accurate. <laughs> it should have been a locust. Based right? on all the, the billions of species of insects and animals or whatever there beetle. are. <laughs> very limited options. It's true. All right. I guess I'll take a grain of salt with it. <laughs> I just made that way too, way more technical than it needed to be. I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to burst no. any bubbles there. It's, you know, it was probably time that bubble be burst. 
<laughs> the Mummy 2 website <laughs> was not like tapping into something uh, in another realm. That's all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, who did you bring for us to discuss today, Eves? So today we're going to be talking about Belinda Sutton. And there are some tenuous firsts, um, but I think this is one of those biographies that, I, I mean, it's worth talking about. And a lot of times first start like that. Um, so it's just kind of, she was one of the earliest, she wrote one of the earliest known, some people have said slave narratives by an African woman. I think that's a little loose. Um, but also a petition she made has been seen by some as the first call for reparations for American slavery. Um, but what I think I'll say here is just that she wrote a pretty early petition. This was in the 1700s with a call for compensation based on the free labor that she did for her enslaver. And of course, that's worth talking about. I think in general, a lot of the people that we talk about here on Female First, they usually have something to do in terms of accomplishments around the work that they do or, you know, the fields that they were in. And this one is a little bit different in that regard. But I just think it's important to talk about the history of enslaved people in general because so much of that history has been erased or not recorded at all in the first place. So I'm always here for talking about something in that regard. Of course, reparations is a conversation that's been coming up a lot in news media for the last decade. So it's relevant in that regard. And yeah, so we've covered some people who were enslaved and some people who were born in times when slavery was a thing, but were born as quote unquote free people of color or uh, had other circumstances around that, why they weren't enslaved, even when it was during the slavery era. But yeah, um, I think that Belinda Sutton's history is really interesting, important to talk about. And another one of those instances where we don't know a lot about her life, but that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't talk about her life. Um, yeah, so her petition was also related to freedom suits, which is a very fascinating, very fascinating history to me. One of the ways that Black people resisted. There are so many forms of resistance that enslaved people did, but this was one of the ways. And this wasn't particularly a freedom suit that Belinda Sutton did. Uh, it was more about compensation, but it's related to that history of resistance. And I won't get ahead of myself there. We'll talk about that later, but that's another reason I wanted to bring her. And then also I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm right about this. We've done a lot of episodes of Female First, but this might be the earliest story we've covered um, because it's from the 18th century. Potentially. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, um, I like that. And I, I want to bring more people who are from earlier centuries on. It's just a little harder to do because the histories are a little bit less recorded a lot of the time. And... That's it, though. Yeah. And I think that it is one of the fascinating and sometimes very upsetting things is that something as far back as this, we are still talking about it, it is still relevant and important. Um, so I, I do think that is reason why uh, we should look back at these things and see uh, where we've changed and where we haven't and all of those things. So, yeah. Can I rant for a sec? Please. 
pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Thank you so much for bringing these as always. Uh, shall we get into some history? Yes, let's do it. So Belinda Sutton was born around 1712 or 1713. We don't have an exact date for her birth. But uh, she was born in West Africa, maybe somewhere around Ghana or Nigeria. And she was captured when she was around 12 years old. And then she was captured by slavers, of course. And she was enslaved by the royals, specifically Isaac Royal Jr. He lived in Medford, Massachusetts. So that's where the property was that we'll talk about where Belinda um, worked and he was one of the wealthiest enslavers in the colony and, like, enslaved the most people in the colony at the time. It was around 1732 or so when he uh, enslaved Belinda. And this was about seven years or so after she was kidnapped and arrived in uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. He... Uh, moved his family and about 27 enslaved people to Massachusetts. That was around 1737, after he had a sugarcane plantation in Antigua. So there's some movement there uh, after Isaac Royal enslaved Belinda Sutton, and they made their way to New England, and she was working for him. So during the American Revolution, though, Isaac Royal was a loyalist, so... He left the colonies in 1775. First, he went to Nova Scotia, and eventually he made his way to England. But after he left, of course, he had this estate. He had all these 
just property left, and he had enslaved people who were still left there. So all those people, they were uh, manumitted. So Belinda, there's not a ton that's known about her. We do know that she uh, went to live in Boston. And we also know that she had two children, Joseph and Prine, who are recorded as having been baptized in 1768. And Joseph may have been sold when she was freed. But um, yeah, so there's, there's not a ton that's known about her personal life. But a lot of what we do know about her life revolves around the petition that we'll talk about in just a moment. So just a little bit of background. You know, Massachusetts was the first colony to formally legalize slavery. And of course, this all of this was happening in the North. So this was still a thing there. People were enslaved. But yeah, Belinda is mentioned in Isaac Royal's will that was dated May 26, 1778, which he wrote during his exile to England. And he said, I do also give unto my said daughter, my Negro woman, Belinda, in case she does not choose her freedom. If she does choose her freedom to have it, provided that she gets security, that she shall not be a charge to the town of Medford. So Royal told his friend Willis Hall, um, who was the executor of his will, to pay Belinda 30 pounds for three years. And on February 14th, 1783, Belinda presented a petition to the Massachusetts legislature. In it, she asked to be paid an annual pension out of Royal's estate for her unpaid labor. So as history professor Roy E. Finkenbein said in his essay, Belinda's Petition, it was, quote, a moral and intellectual appeal. So, well, I'll I'll go through a little bit of what the um, petition said. So in the petition, Belinda talks about these fond memories she has from her life in West Africa. Then she talks about the white man coming to her village and being kidnapped and taken across the Atlantic. Then she goes into the awful conditions of being enslaved and then builds up her argument that all the labor she's put in for the royals over the years means that she's owed money. And finally, she asked the legislators to grant her an allowance from royals' estate. So you see her building up her case by talking about how difficult it was, by talking about how much work that she had done and that she had earned this money and that she was now old and she was supposed to get this money. This money was hers. And just a note on her name. uh, So you'll see her referred to as Belinda. And then you'll also see her referred to as Belinda Royal sometimes, which was obviously after her enslavers. But in 2015, researchers found that in a 1788 petition, she called herself Belinda Sutton of Boston in the county of Suffolk Widow. And that's where her name, Belinda Sutton, as I'm referring to her, comes from. But it is unknown who or when she got married to. So that's a question in her story. And researchers are still looking more into her story to learn more about her. But it's likely that Belinda couldn't read or write. So, of course, we have this petition, which we see was written, and it was probably drafted by someone else. So, as far as what scholars have said in the research, it's surmised that it could have been big, big asterisks there because it's not really known, but it could have been this person named Prince Hall, who was a Black activist in Boston at the time. He would have seen other and from, be familiar with other petitions that were similar that were presented to the Massachusetts legislature. 
And he wrote other things asking for emancipation in general, like money for Black folks who wanted to move to West Africa and other things. So that's how she got this written. Obviously, this happened a lot of times with people who could write and who advocated for people who were enslaved and a lot of them couldn't read or write. So there were people who often did this and Prince Hall was one of those people. And it's just kind of an educated, an educated guess because he did a lot of this work all the time. So yeah, what happened was the legislature did grant her and Prine, her child, 15 pounds and 12 shillings per year, which would have been paid out of the rents and profits of Royal's estate. And that sounds all well and good. Like, okay, yeah. (laughs) But two things. One, she didn't get it as she was supposed to get it over the course of the years. And two, it wasn't like Massachusetts was doing this because they were just so progressive. It was probably because he was a loyalist. And obviously, Massachusetts wasn't rocking with loyalists, the people who were loyal to England and the crown. And also, the money was coming out of his estate. So it's not like it was really coming out of their pocket. So it was just kind of like a win-win and could be seen as a punishment for the estate of the royal family, like... You left this behind and the state seized um, the property after he fled. So it was theirs to do with what they wanted to. But yeah, so um, on June 18th, 1783, the petition was reprinted in the New Jersey Gazette. The editor of that publication was a Quaker um, and plenty of anti-slavery writing was printed in the publication And it was reprinted in other publications as well. So you can't go online and read the petition itself. Um, But yeah, some of those narratives that were reprinted in in those other publications were... The people who reprinted them took a lot of liberties with it, let's say that. They changed the narrative to be able to fit their narratives, which was an anti-slavery narrative. So the petition in his reprints, made its way overseas to Britain. And there were a lot of people who were up for the anti-slavery cause over there on moral grounds and things like that. And they took their liberties to be like, okay, these are things I'm going to add to the story that I'm going to put my little, my essay on the side or my opinion piece on the side to go along with this petition or make it seem like this was written in a, a more first person narrative kind of way to say, look how terrible slavery is um, and, you know, take this story to be able to understand why you should be a part of the anti-slavery cause as well. Of course, them leaving out that Royal was a loyalist (laughs) and had those ties back to England a lot of the time. But yeah, they failed to pay the pension after the first year. And this is where we'll see her continuing to petition over the years in 1787. um, And 1793 was her last known petition. She would ask for her pension to be reinstated. And she got the money until 1790. The estate refused to pay. So there was a lot of back and forth over the years. But what it comes down to is that she didn't get all the money that she had been granted and that she wanted. And she continued to say, I'm old. I'm not doing that well economically. And I could really use this money. Um, so in she died in the 1790s. 
It's not completely clear exactly when she died, but it's known that it was probably in the 1790s because there was a petition that was filed where the royal family said Belinda's died. We're asking for the money back that had been set aside for her. So, (laughs) um, yeah, very interesting. There were other people who petitioned for compensation, and many of them were men, but a lot of them didn't get anything from it. But in the end, it was on the record. Belinda continued to try and say that this is what I'm owed. This is what I deserve. And even though she probably knew, even though she was granted it, even though she probably had an idea like, I I might not get this at all, she continued to press on for it. So the Massachusetts government determined that like, the enslaved people who were left behind by loyalist enslavers might be granted money from their enslavers' confiscated property. So it wasn't like this was an unprecedented judgment. Like, this was something that the Massachusetts government was already thinking about because Royal wasn't the only loyalist who fled and left behind property and and the people that he considered property. Um, but Royal didn't fulfill his duty to take care of that, so the state would have to do the job. So, yeah, it's it's it, it's not wholly just, it's not something that was unprecedented. It was interesting that she took this anti-slavery angle and this angle of reparations in terms of like, this is unpaid labor and I need my my back money. I need this money that I'm owed. Um, but it was also like the the other element of that was that the person who was quote unquote caring for her in the government's eyes, who was supposed to take care of her monetarily, um, she wasn't there. So there were other people who could take care of themselves, but then when there were elderly people or people who were sick who had more difficulties taking care of themselves, now the state was like, okay, what are what are we going to do about this? And Belinda's story has come up in recent years. Um, For the last decade, as I said before, there have been a lot of talk around reparations, how reparations would look, essays written about reparations, a bunch of people arguing on the internet about (laughs) who deserves reparations and whether anybody deserves reparations at all. All of those things, you know, I don't have to go into. But one thing that did come up is Isaac Royal and the money that he donated to Harvard that helped contribute to the establishment of the law school. Um, There was stuff named after Royal there, and Harvard renamed a courtyard for Belinda Sutton instead in commemoration of her and all the others who labored for the Royals for free. And Harvard also established the Belinda Sutton Distinguished Lecture and the Belinda Sutton Academic Conference Um, And they said that it, quote, featured speakers and topics that advance our understanding of the legacy of slavery and expropriation and the ongoing pursuit of racial justice. So that is the story of Belinda Sutton. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And like you said, I'm so glad that people are doing this research, even though it's hard to find things because it is so important and is ongoing. And I'm glad that uh, you you bring these topics to us too, because it can be so difficult to track down these the details and piece together someone's life when so much hasn't been recorded or has been erased. Um, so I just really appreciate the people doing that research and for you, Eves, to bring it to us as well. Yes, I'm happy to. And I think it's cool to see how things have changed over time. Like seeing that in 2015, they learned a little bit more about her last name. It's just when we see things like that, now we can understand that, okay, it's not like all hope is lost. Like we won't be able to find anything else about her. There's still more that can be uncovered. All the people who are still working at the Royal House and slave quarters in Massachusetts and the people who are doing work there and doing intentional work about finding out more about the people who were enslaved there because they literally built the state, you know, like, um, were the reason for all of this wealth that the royal family had. Um, and that work is ongoing. Like, it's it's nice that people are able to dedicate their time to that because it's such important research. Yeah. Um, and it is true, like, we just did an episode on Saver on Melinda Russell, who is considered the first Black American woman to publish a cookbook. Hmm. And that discovery was in 2018, I think. Like, very recent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it was 2007. They, but they're still looking into it. And it was very, very recent. Um, and there was just, like, pieces of her, like, scraps of her. Um, but people were determined, like, we've got to get to the bottom of this cookbook. Mm-hmm. And it was almost, like, mythical. But then they did. Uh, so it's true. Like, there is still hope. And even if it is, like, difficult and so long ago and can feel like, well, I'm never going to find this. I just have so much respect for people who are like, no, <laughs> I'm going to keep looking and we're going to at least be able to like put this story together and maybe 
expound on this person's life and give context to what we already know. Um, so I really, <laughs> I, I appreciate people who do that work so much. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate you, Eves. Yes. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I know we have a milestone of some sort coming. <laughs> Where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on Instagram at not apologizing. You can also just go to my website, evesjeffcoat.com and find me from there. And you can also listen to On Theme, which is a show that I co-host with Katie Mitchell. And it's about Black storytelling. So you can hear lots of stories there. And you can also find me on many, many other episodes here on Sminty of Female First, talking about people who did things in history that were amazing, that are worth talking about, and their accomplishments. Yes. Yes. Um, Definitely check out all of that stuff. If you have not already, listeners, uh, we hope that you have. But yes, uh, thanks for coming on, Eves. Uh, listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram and TikTok at Stuff I Never Told You. We have a tea public store and we have a book you can get wherever you get your books. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'll Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.